0: Get Your Creek On.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. Thanks for joining me today as we reach the penultimate episode of series 4, The Checkered Box. A distinguished police officer is photographed laughing at a hanged woman but denies all knowledge of it and certainly denies being the perpetrator in any way. Can Jonathan help prove his innocence and work out what really happened? Spoiler alert, yes. Watching the episode prior to listening to this pod will be in no way whatsoever to your detriment. In fact, the very opposite will be true. You'll be able to understand the references, be able to visualise what's being talked about and, even more importantly, you'll be able to categorically consider yourself a winner. One thing's for sure, you won't need to worry about this following statement.
0: No creak, you freak, baby.
1: The Checkered Box aired on February the 21st, 2004. Did you know that the world's driest inhabited continent is Australia? This guy probably does, because he's from there.
0: episode synopsis.
1: We start this week at Carla and Brendan's house where workmen are grafting outside doing plumbing works. Brendan's eating breakfast in bed as Carla gets ready for a day of filming out and about with the police. Brendan's delighted to receive a letter in the mail stating that the internal filming of his recent colonoscopy... Is being put forward for use at a teaching hospital. Carla goes out to use their temporary portable toilet in the street and the workman and a passing taxi driver all holler at her. Meanwhile Jonathan's in a public park where Adam is doing an endurance trick that involves him being buried underground for eight days. They converse via walkie-talkie Two women have filed a sexual harassment complaint against Adam, saying that he looked up their skirts from his position six feet under, and, to make matters worse, appeared to be pleasuring himself as he did so. At that moment, an underground train passes beneath him, and we see that the vibrations do indeed make him look like he may be shaking hands with the milkman, as it were. Out on the filming shoot in a hospital, Carlos following the suave and capable Detective Inspector Adrian Fell, who's investigating a motor accident in which two motorcyclists have sadly been decapitated. It turns out that the paramedic crews have matched the heads back up with the wrong bodies, a fact that D.I. Fell establishes by noting how the pair of them are of completely different ethnic origins. Later, he's called to follow up a suspicious sudden death, and Carla and the film crew go with. On the scene, a Sergeant Herbie Bryant says that neighbours reported hearing a struggle, and the dead man was subsequently found locked in his own bedroom, dead on his back. DI Fell inspects the room and concludes that he died of sleep apnea, on account of the medical book on the table dog-eared on that particular page, and a loose walnut in the bed which should have been sewn into the back of the man's pyjamas, to stop him rolling onto his back in the night. Outside, a photographer called Hattie is trying to take pictures of the scene, but Sergeant Bryant grabs her camera and disposes of the film, telling her to bugger off. Minutes later, Fell walks by a body bag and finds that Hattie is hiding inside to try and get further access. She's asked to leave and complains that how she isn't being treated as well as Carla is getting the same access which isn't really much of an argument when you think about it given Carla's a TV presenter with an accredited all-access credential, whereas Hattie is an annoying paparazzo. Later in her car, Hattie's on the phone to someone who tells her that a message has arrived. It informs her that she should go to a particular building tomorrow night at 12.30, onto the fourth floor of the east stairwell, and to then look out of the window. At the TV studios, later, Carla tells Jonathan all about D.I. Fell and how incredible he was. Jonathan asks an assistant to put a mannequin of Adam into a truck, then takes a call from the man himself, who tells Jonathan all about his latest stunt, which Jonathan does not like the sound of. The next night, Hattie travels to the high-rise building as instructed. She looks out of the designated window and through the zoom on her camera sees a woman hanging from the roof of an office in the adjacent building. As she's taking snaps of this concerning panorama, D.I. Fell appears in the office, takes something from a drawer, and smiles to himself before dropping his used chewing gum into a plant pot. He wipes the place clean of his fingerprints, walks across the room to the hanging woman, and sneers at her, before switching off the lights and leaving. Hattie gets onto the phone and is telling someone about what she's just seen, but the signal drops out. She stops and phones back on a payphone, but as she's talking, someone steals her car. At the TV studio a day or so later, Jonathan turns up to find the Eyes and Ears crew filming a recreation of the death of the hanging woman, who was a lawyer called Marion Crespo. Jonathan's irritated by the levels of conjecture and speculation in the violent recreation of Crespo's death, as presented by Carla. Later, Brendan arrives home just as the portable toilet's being towed away, with their indoor plumbing now back up and running. He's settling down to watch his colonoscopy video, when Carla calls to tell him that she's still inside the portable toilet, which is now being towed to Nottingham. She phones D.I. Fell, who arranges for police to pull over the Land Rover towing her, and pick her up. He has them take her to his house, where he prepares some dinner for the pair of them. Elsewhere, Hattie and another photographer turn up to get snaps of Adam's latest wheeze, which is being attached to a cross in a park, just like Jesus was. Well, Jesus wasn't in a park in North London, but you know what I mean. Hattie recognises Jonathan and tells him that she knows who committed the Marion Crespo murder. He suggests that she ought to go to the police if that's the case, but she then reveals that she can't because it was D.I. Fell who did it. She says she has evidence in the form of the photos she took, but that they are somewhere in her stolen car. At D.I. Fell's, he and Carla finish dinner, and she takes a call from Jonathan, in which he tells her to beware her host, because he could be a murderer. She tries to leave, but he insists on them having a cup of coffee first. He then starts talking in a weird and unsettling manner about death, and mentions that his wife recently passed, before he starts stroking a small wooden box with his finger. He's interrupted when his daughter Jessica arrives out of the blue, she and Fell have a tetchy exchange, and Carla leaves in a cab arranged and paid for by Fell, whom she promises to repay tomorrow. However, she has the cab stopped just round the corner, so she can get out and eavesdrop on the argument between Fell and his daughter at the living room window. Fell tells Jessica how the pair of them have a contract with Mr G, whatever that means, and then refers to the wooden box again, handing it to her and saying that they have to do this. He then closes the curtains before Carla can see any more. As she leaves, she takes one of his bin bags and goes through it back at the office. Jonathan turns up as she explains that she's looking to see if there's any chewing gum in the garbage to compare to the piece he dropped in Marion Crespo's office. She tells Jonathan about her evening with Phil as he looks through some of the newspaper clippings about Marion Crespo. Some of these refer to a case she worked on a few years back, in which D.I. Fell was involved. Jonathan notices that a key witness was in fact the Walnut appendage pyjama man, who was found dead in his bed. It looks like these two incidents may be connected somehow. They go back to the guy's flat and inspect the bolts on the door, the bed and the pyjamas. They do an experiment where Carla puts on the pyjama top to see whether the walnut sewn in the back does indeed stop her from rolling onto her back. Jonathan deduces that the man did not die alone of sleep apnea and was in fact suffocated by someone and the bolts locked from outside the room using string-soaked paraffin that was then burned off in order to make it look like the guy was alone in a locked room. Outside, as they sit and discuss matters in Carla's soft-top car, someone tries to kill or maim one or other of them by ramming a large knife through the roof, narrowly missing them both. Things are getting serious. At the studio the next day, Brendan has brought in D.I. Fell to discuss the latest developments, to Carla and Jonathan's shock. Then Bryant turns up with Hattie, whose photos have been found. Fell is confronted and appears bang to rights, so he lays it all out. He claims he received a message from Marion Crespo about Jessica, his daughter, who'd previously had problems being involved in crime. Sworn statements had come into Crespo's possession, naming Jessica as a key player in a drugs ring. He went along to her office and, as Crespo wasn't there, helped himself to the offending statements so that nobody else could act upon them. He admits to throwing his gum into the plant pot in the corner and then wiping the place down so that no one knew he'd been there. Bryant cuffs fell and takes him out to the police car but Fell surreptitiously switches off the child lock as he's being put into the back seat. Jonathan mentions to Carla that it's odd how Fell says he put the gum in a pot in the corner when it was found in one in the middle of the room. He then takes a phone call about Adam, whose large cross has slipped over onto a dangerous angle, leaving him dangling over a pile of manure. Elsewhere, Fell takes his chance at some traffic lights and bails out of the police car, running off down the street. At the park, Adam falls to the ground and is carted off in an ambulance. At least, he's meant to be, but they accidentally and somehow take his mannequin instead, which the doctor at A&E is astonished to realise upon its arrival. At Fell's house, Jessica takes a phone call about her dad and is then amazed to find him standing there at the door, handcuffs still on a moment later. Rather than try and explain himself, he instead again refers to that weird little wooden box. Jonathan and Carla head up to Marion Crespo's office, but are ominously followed by the most ominous of ominous cars, a black BMW. In the hallway outside the office is a pile of decorator's equipment, and this gives Jonathan another clue. We then see Phil climbing up the stairs of the other tower, the one Hattie was in the other night. Jonathan and Carla look around Crespo's office as a man we're led to believe as Phil prepares to fire a rifle. Bullets rain down on the pair of them as they fall to the floor, and then we see that Fell, in fact, apprehends the gunman. The cops arrive and arrest the rifle bearer, and Jonathan gets on with the denouement. The man who fired those bullets was the one who also tried to set up Fell to take the blame for Crespo's death. He had a temporary partition wall put up to split Crespo's office in two, which couldn't be seen from the side-on angle Hetty was sent to witness things from. Crespo was killed and hanged up, but Fell went into the other half of the room and didn't see her at all. A humorous picture on the fake wall caused Fell to laugh, and it appeared from sideways on that he was sneering at the hanging Crespo. His gum went into a plant pot that appeared to be in the corner. was actually in the middle of the room when the fake wall was removed after he'd gone. It turns out Fell's actually a very religious bloke who would never take the life of another person and the Mr G he's previously been referring to is God. The wooden box contains a bible and he's been trying to get his wayward daughter Jessica to become a hardcore Christian just like him in order to turn her life round. We end at Carla and Brendan's house, where she is disgustedly watching what she thinks is the colonoscopy video, but is in fact footage of their drains being investigated. Brendan opens a letter stating that his colonoscopy video has been selected, but his joy is short-lived when it becomes clear that it was actually an operation carried out on a woman called Brenda Baxter instead. Hence the presence of fallopian tubes.
0: episode analysis.
1: There was something reminiscent of a previous episode in the Central Mystery this week, and that previous episode was Mother Redcap, in which the High Court judge was murdered by the long-tongued police officer for his involvement in a case years before. In the checkered box, I did enjoy the macabre idea of revenge being sought on a police officer, by having him framed for the murder of another enemy of the perpetrators. A kind of of two-for-the-price-of-one type thing. Interestingly, we'll see a similar thing happen again in the main storyline of a future episode, so bear it in mind. I wasn't quite sure why Detective Inspector Fell would agree to go to a meeting with a lawyer at half-past midnight. That did strike me as being a bit weird. But the fact it was at night time and really dark certainly did help add to the sinister atmosphere of the moment when he was photographed there. The image of the Hanging Crespo is an all-time Creek classic, I think you'll agree. And whilst the window frames perhaps give away the solution to the mystery, it was, nevertheless, a great scene. Particularly when Fell walks across and chuckles at the dangling corpse. The stuff with the checkered box itself and the bible within and the god business and whatnot felt a little bit over the top and I'm not sure any stringently devout Christian would refer to him as Mr G, but I guess it was an excuse for some overwrought hyperbole that a non-religious person would never have delved into. Fell was portrayed by Colin McFarlane who's probably best known for roles in The Dark Knight and Batman Begins, but to me is most fondly remembered for his ensemble role in The Fast Show. Steve Spears played Sergeant Bryant, Myra McFadden played Hattie, and none of the other actors really merit a mention beyond that because their roles were not really substantial enough. So, rather than take up time by listing two or three others, as I'd normally do in this part, I'm just going to skip over it without referring to any of them in order to free up Vital Seconds for other information rather than leaving it out to include references to people who don't warrant it. By making this decision and treating every word as a prisoner, it does ensure that everything I cite or discuss is very worthwhile and useful, and no part of this section is superfluous or filler material, which is a technical term for content that doesn't really serve a meaningful purpose. I can't recall whether I've mentioned it previously, but I have really been enjoying the music so far in Series 4, The playful tunes during the scenes with Brendan are great, and the dramatic refrains in scenes such as the revealing of The Hanging Woman really helped to build the atmosphere in this episode, but without ever being overbearing or intrusive. This was sadly the final episode in which Brendan appeared, which is a real shame as his addition to the cast has made for some fantastic moments, and the beaming pride with which he talked about his colonoscopy in this episode was a real highlight. Godspeed, Mr. Baxter, and thanks for the memories. There was humour to be found in the Adam Close storyline as normal, with the stunts he was pulling no doubt being references to the stuff David Blaine was doing around that time. The mannequin being taken away to the hospital instead of Adam himself was ever so slightly stupid and completely implausible, but it did offer a nice comic moment when the head was pulled off by the Doctor, who interestingly was played by director Sandy Johnson, who's appeared on screen twice before, once in No Trace of Tracy as a paramedic when he saw the frog being pulled out of Toby Flower's mouth, and as a urinal user in Time Waits for Norman, where Maddie asks him whether he's ever seen a transvestite before.
0: The celebration of Location Information Station. The park in which Adam's
1: harebrained crucifixion stunt takes place is Roundwood Park in Wilsdon, North London. It has both English Heritage Grade 2 listed status and Green Flag status, and houses an impressive selection of trees and different fauna, plus a pond and an aviary. Indeed, Adam was doing quite a lot of birdwatching during the episode, if you catch my drift. Not at all far from there, when the police pull over the man driving the easy lav toilet to let Carla out, she disembarks just outside the Ace Café, which is situated at Ace Corner on the A406 Road, also known as the North Circular Road. The cafe has been open since 1938 and is apparently a popular hangout for rockers, petrolheads and bikers. It has a very reasonably priced menu with the British breakfast, including everything you'd expect to hope and see, setting you back just £7.95, chilli burgers coming in at just £6.95 and chicken jalfrezi a mere £8.95. And finally, the skyscraper building in which Marian Crespo was found hanging in her office is the City Point building at 1 Ropemaker Street, just round the corner from Moorgate Station in the centre of London. It's a total of 132,000 square feet of office space, has seven lifts, 413 bicycle racks, 524 lockers, and 35 showers. At the time of recording, there are offices for rent on the 5th, 6th, 7th and 8th floors, presumably because previous tenants moved out upon hearing that someone was murdered there in 2004. Oh shit, no wait, no no, they weren't. Jonathan Creeks Fictional. Damn it! I always forget that.
0: Craig Connections.
1: At thirteen minutes twenty six seconds, we see Carla and Jonathan standing talking outside a building with a sign on it saying Shed Eight. The band Shed Seven were popular mainly in the 90s, and were formed in the city of York. The nursery rhyme, the Grand Old Duke of York, is most commonly thought to be about Prince Frederick, Duke of York, and second son of George III. George III led Britain to victory over France in the Seven Years' War. The end of which was signalled by the signing of the Treaty of Hubertusburg in February 1763 at Hubertusburg Castle in Austria, construction of which started in 1721 at the behest of the King of Poland, Augustus the Strong. Augustus the Strong liked to live up to his nickname and show off just how powerful he was by breaking horseshoes with his bare hands. The lawn game Horseshoes is overseen by governing body the National Horseshoe Pitchers Association, whose president at the time of this recording is Gary Roberts from Pike County in Ohio, the second largest town in which is Waverly City. Waverly is the name of the first prose novel written by Sir Walter Scott, who, at the age of 12, started studying classics at the University of Edinburgh. The University of Edinburgh's student newspaper was founded by Robert Louis Stevenson, whose famous book Treasure Island was published on the 14th of November 1883, the same day that a National Library of Congress was established in Santiago, Chile. The Chilean road sign warning drivers not to block a box junction shows a red circle over the image of a car waiting in a checkered box painted on the road. Checkered box, this week's episode title. Holy smokes. Another Creek Connection, next time.
0: Relaxation time. Tranquil, dreamy serenity.
1: For anyone suffering from exhaustion, trauma, worries, or a stiff back, there are a plethora of modern remedies and treatments that claim to help. From the wandering hands of a chiropractor, to creams and potions containing God only knows what, probably dolphin semen or similar, it's easy to be drawn in by the proverbial Greeks bearing gifts, who are in fact just after your money in exchange for smoke and mirrors. The one and only foolproof, proven antidote to anything hindering your life is autonomous
0: sensory Meridian response. Whispered words and ambient audible horizons are guaranteed to create a tingly,
1: warm, non-sexual, unless you want it to be, feeling that will wash away all negative sentiments and feelings, like a, a big industrial hose. And
0: when those whispered words are Jonathan Creek related, what could possibly be better. The fake partition wall in the office was the crux of the whole trick, but in the flashback where it was being done, we clearly saw that the sheets of plasterboard were not tall enough to reach the ceiling. Are we really to believe that they started cutting extra bits to fill in the gaps? I mean, have you ever tried working with plasterboard? It's messy as hell when you start slicing it up. Just a word of warning. When Adam's in the coffin, he complains about the vibrations from the underground trains on the central and district lines. But if this was filmed in the park mentioned in the location section, then those two lines don't pass underneath there. The closest would be the Bakerloo and Jubilee lines. Do they honestly think we wouldn't all notice this? Come on, David Rennick, some attention to detail wouldn't go amiss. Hattie, the photographer, drove a Peugeot 405, which are still being produced these days in Iran, Kazakhstan and Egypt, but were only built in Europe between 1987 and 1997. As of 2012, there have been over 4.6 million of them sold worldwide. That includes both the saloon and estate versions, if you're wondering. When Carla was impressed by Phil's policing abilities early on, it was reminiscent of the episode Black Canary, when Maddie was enthralled by D.I. Gideon Pryke. On this occasion, though, Phil's interpretation of events surrounding the man in the bed's death were proven wrong, whereas Pryke was pretty much on the ball throughout. One of the criminals in the newspaper cuttings is called Jason Lee which is the same name as both a footballer who played for Nottingham Forest and the actor who played Earl in My Name is Earl. If I had to rank those three Jason Lees in order of fame, then it would probably be uh, Jason Lee first, then Jason Lee second, and then the final Jason Lee third. Feel free to email in if you disagree with that, though.
1: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Get Your Creak On. My fingers are crossed that you've enjoyed it and that you've enjoyed all previous episodes. If you haven't been enjoying it and have persevered through all 23 so far, then why? Who the hell's forcing you? You can contact the show anytime by emailing getyourcreakon at gmail.com by Twitter, at CreekGet, or by heading to the website, which is getyourcreekon.co.uk. Please do leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, as it'll help more people find, listen to, and hopefully like Get Your Creek On. The next episode is the last of Series 4, and the final occasion on which we will spend some time with Carla Barrego. Gorgon's Wood is the story of how a priceless porcelain statue impossibly disappears into thin air. A mystery which is investigated by a clever, clever man whose name rhymes with Bonathan Greek. That's it for today. I will see you next time, hopefully. In the meantime, look after yourselves, don't do anything too stupid, and keep on rocking in the free world. I'm Toby. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to Get Your Creek On.